you settle in, I want to ask you a, a direct question, and it's this. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Do you enjoy praying? Do you pray often? When you pray, do you feel as if it's effective? Or does this sound more like you? This is taken from one of my favorite books on prayer, one that you should all have in your homes, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Listen to this. He says at the very beginning of this book, does prayer make any difference? Is God even there? Ever asked those questions or had those questions thrown at you? Miller says many of us don't think prayer makes much of a difference at all. The most common frustration, he says, is with the activity of praying itself. Now see if this sounds like you. He says, we last for about 15 seconds, and then out of nowhere, the day's to-do list pop up and our minds are off on a tangent. We catch ourselves and by sheer force of the will go back to praying, but before we know it, it has happened again. Instead of praying, we're doing a confused mix of wondering and worrying, then the guilt sets in. We think something must be wrong with me. Other Christians don't seem to have this much trouble praying. In a burst of spiritual enthusiasm, we put together a prayer list, but praying through the list gets dull and nothing seems to happen. The list gets long and cumbersome. We lose touch with many of the needs. Praying feels like whistling in the wind. When someone is healed or helped, we wonder if it would have happened anyway. He says our prayers feel useless, as if we're wasting our time. When we pray, it seems as if we're talking to air. Again, can anyone relate with this? Yeah, I think most, if not all of us, at one time or another, we, we've wrestled with these things. And, and most, if not all of us, if we're honest, would admit right now that our prayer life is not where it needs to be. Am I right? I don't know if I've ever met anyone who says, I really need to cut back when it comes to praying. I spend too much time in prayer. Now, more often than not, the opposite is true. Am I right? I believe most, if not all of us, would say that we need to pray more than we do, right? And I believe that there are many in this room this morning who, if you were honest, you would have to admit that you feel inadequate when it comes to prayer. Many of you feel limited when it comes to your ability to pray. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 3. We are continuing our sermon series through Ephesians this morning entitled Walking Worthy. And in our passage for today, we have recorded for us another great prayer from this great book. And this prayer comes at the end of the first half of this book. Remember we said, we've said many times in here already, the book of Ephesians, it divides nicely in half, doesn't it? 
The first half of the book in chapters 1 through 3, they're all about what God has done for us and about our identity in Christ. And then the latter half of the book, chapters 4 through 6, are all about how we are to live in light of these truths. And at the very end of this first section of this great book, after Paul spent all of his time instructing his Christian audience on how God has saved them and about who they are in Christ, and before he begins instructing them on how they are to live in light of those truths, Paul prays for them. And I want to spend the rest of our morning examining this prayer because I I believe that this prayer, in this prayer, we find two important keys, two essentials for a healthy prayer life. And those essentials are this, motivation and instruction. For us to have a healthy prayer life, for us to get it right in this area of our spiritual life, we must first be motivated to pray, and second, we must also understand the proper way to pray. So let's start by talking about motivation. For a healthy prayer life, we need the proper motivation for prayer. Look at verse 14. Paul says this, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul is talking about, he's he's praying, he's talking about him praying to the Father here, praying to the God who is before all things and above all things and over all things. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, before the God of all creation. For what reason? I mean, Do we miss something here? What's the reason Paul bows before the Father? What moves Paul to pray here? Well, look again at the first three words in verse 14. For this reason, this phrase is meant to direct us back to everything Paul has said so far in the book of Ephesians. From chapter 1 to chapter 3, verse 13. And again, look at what Paul has been talking about in the first two and a half chapters of this book. He's been talking about the saving work of God, am I right? He's talking about the work that Christ has accomplished for believers. He's been talking about who we are as followers of Christ. Back in chapter 1, Paul explains to his Christian audience before they were anything to anybody, they were loved and favored by God. He says in Ephesians 1.4 that God chose them in Christ before the foundation of the world. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. In verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul explains to the Christians of his day that not only has God chosen them, but he also explains that his son is sacrificed for them so that they might be saved. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. On down in chapter 1, in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, Paul explains that not only have believers been chosen by the Father and redeemed by the work of the Son, but they've also been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul explains that when one trusts in Christ 
for salvation. The Holy Spirit unites us as believers with Him, with Christ. And He secures us in Him. He seals us in Christ. He keeps us. He protects us. He preserves us forever. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. In chapter 2, Paul reminds his Christian audience that though they are one time dead spiritually because of sin, God has made them alive in Christ. In verses 1 through 10, Paul tells his Christian audience that they have been saved from sin to life by God's grace through their faith unto good works. And Paul says here in Ephesians 3, 14, for this reason... I bow my knees to the Father. And then at the end of chapter 2, Paul tells his Gentile audience of what Christ has done for them, remember? He says, because of Christ, you who were once far off, you were once outsiders of God's kingdom, outside His covenant, outside His promises, separated from His Son and His people without hope and without God, because of your faith in Christ, Paul says... You who were once far off have been brought near. You've been brought in by the blood of Christ. And Paul says, for that reason, I bow my knees before the Father. That's Paul's motivation for praying. When he reflects back on the work that God had done for his people through his Son, as he thinks back over this breathtaking survey of God's saving work in the first part of Ephesians, Paul is moved to pray. Senior pastor at Sovereign Grace Church, Mark Mullery, once said this. Look at this quote. He said, prayer is fueled by the gospel. A growing awareness of the gospel is what produces a growing practice of prayer. So true. Believers, God's gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, should move us. The work that God has done to save us, it should light a fire in us. It should stimulate us. It should provoke us. It should motivate us. It should move us to praise Him, to love Him, to serve Him, and especially to pray to Him. It should move us to do that. If you're here this morning, and you're struggling in this area of your life when it comes to prayer, let me ask you this. Is that because you're neglecting so great a salvation as it says in Hebrews 2? Is your lack of motivation when it comes to prayer due to the fact that you're not feasting on these wonderful truths found in the first part of the book of Ephesians and found throughout God's gospel? When was the last time you spent time thinking about God's saving work in your life? When was the last time you spent time meditating upon the work that Christ has accomplished for you at Calvary? When's the last time you spent time praising God for your salvation? When's the last time you surveyed the wondrous cross and you took that message and you shared it with others who desperately need to hear it? If you're here this morning, your prayer life is non-existent, may I suggest to you that one of the main reasons might just be because you've taken God's saving work for granted in your life. 
I want you to really consider that as you leave here today. Folks, if you're struggling in this area of your life, don't be okay with that. As Tim talked about in our FBU class this morning, a key component to your growth in godliness is a healthier prayer life. And as we've learned here in this first point, to grow in the practice of prayer, we have to grow in our knowledge of God's gospel. And if you don't know where to start, start back at the first of Ephesians. Begin reading through this great book again. Read through it. Study it. Meditate upon it. Memorize parts of it. Listen to these sermons again on the first three chapters of this book. Listen to other gospel-centered sermons through Ephesians and other books like it. Read books on the gospel. Good, solid, gospel-centered books. Matt Chandler wrote The Explicit Gospel. It's a great book. R.C. Sproul wrote Getting the Gospel Right. John Piper wrote God is the Gospel. Read books like that. Grow in your knowledge of the gospel so that you can grow in the practice of prayer. Second key to a healthy prayer life is not only to have the proper motivation for prayer, which is the gospel, but we also need the proper instruction about prayer. We need to be instructed properly about how to pray, don't we? Paul shows us how here. In verses 15 through 21, in this passage, get this, we find two central requests that Paul makes that serve in one's prayer life like wild cards do in a card game. Now, let me explain what I mean when I say that. How many of y'all like playing Uno? Anybody? Some of you are kind of too advanced for Uno, right? We, we, that, you know, our girls can't grasp any of the other card games, but they understand Uno, so we play Uno as a family, all right? And you know, if you played Uno, that what makes the game fun are the wild cards, right? If you have a wild card in Uno, it always plays. It always plays, no matter what. If it's your turn, you can play a wild card, if you choose. But those of y'all who played the game a few times, you know a good strategy for Uno is to hold on to the wild cards until the end, if you can, right? And if you got one card left, and it's a wild card, as long as no one throws down a draw two or the dreaded draw four card, it plays. Wild cards always play no matter what in Uno. Well, Paul, get this, he gives us two wild cards here that we can use whenever we pray. How many of you get intimidated at times when someone asks you to pray for them? You don't have to raise your hand, but I do at times, yeah. Say, pray for me right now. Just, just pray for me, yeah. Well, there are two requests that, that we learn here that we can make anytime, anywhere, in any situation, and we can direct it toward any believer. The first is power, and the second is insight. First, let's look at power. When you are praying for believers, no matter the situation, no matter the individual, you can always pray for power. Look at verse 16. Paul says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
Folks, this request, this petition that Paul makes can be directed toward any believer in any situation, anywhere. You know how I know that? Because Paul is writing to any and every type of believer in any and every type of situation. Paul is writing to the Christians of his day. Remember we said when we introduced this book that though it's addressed to the Ephesians, in the earliest manuscripts that was left blank. And the reason why was because this was meant to be a circular letter. It was meant to circulate to all churches throughout the known world. That's why Paul avoids addressing specific believers and specific issues in this book like he does in the other books. This is a very general book. He's addressing just generally the Christians of his day, and he's praying a general prayer for the believers of his day here. And notice again what he prays. He basically says, I pray that the God who has everything will give you power, that he would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul rightly recognizes here that that every believer, no matter who they are, need power from God and have power available to them. Every believer needs to be strengthened from within. Every believer has access to this divine strength. Now, what does it look like to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit? Well, people get pretty far out when explaining this power. There's a lot of things happening all across congregations, all across the country that are pretty far-fetched, many of them. And when you ask those in attendance, they would attribute it to the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think it's important to note here that Paul does not stress an outward manifestation or demonstration of power, but an inner strength that the Holy Spirit gives. He says, I pray the Spirit would strengthen your inner being with power. I like Gordon Fee's definition of what Paul's talking about here. Look at this quote. He says, for Paul here, the power of the Spirit refers to the empowering necessary to be God's people in the world so as to be true reflections of His glory. I agree with Fee. I think the inner strength Paul is praying for is for us to have this inner strength, this inner power to walk worthy for God. Does that not fit here? I mean, that's what he's been talking about in this whole book. It has to do with the ability to live for God in this world. Folks, you can pray this for anyone at any time. Period. If a believer comes to you and says, I need you to pray for me, I'm struggling with this or that, I'm going through this, it doesn't matter how difficult the situation, you can pray this, you can say, Father, give them strength through your spirit so they can walk worthy. Give them the ability to live for you in and through these circumstances and in your world. And listen, you can trust, folks, no matter the situation no matter how difficult, no matter the believer, no matter how weak or strong he or she may be, if they're a true follower of Christ, they have this inner source of power available to them. They can access this. 
Folks, when you made Christ the Lord of your life, you turned over the reins of your life over to Him, and you were indwelt with the very Spirit of God. God Himself comes to live in you. The infinite, all-powerful God of the universe resides in you. Let that sink in. May that be a continual source of focus when you pray for one another. Someone comes to you with an insurmountable problem when they come with a seemingly unconquerable, unbeatable struggle. This needs to be the prayer that you pray for them. Paul did. The believers in in Paul's day faced some challenging issues. They faced opposition from outside. They had people wanting to kill them. Opposition from within. They dealt with a lot of knuckleheads in the church. They're often faced with, with numerous multifaceted moral dilemmas. But Paul did not allow himself to get discouraged by that, but instead he prayed for them that God would strengthen them from within by his Holy Spirit. And folks, notice again where this prayer is recorded. This is so key. It's recorded right before the second half of the book. Am I right? Now, why does Paul place this here? I believe it's not by accident that Paul puts it there. Are you with me? So so why does Paul place it here? Because get this, in the next chapter over, Paul begins the second half of this book where he's calling for the Christians of his day and believers everywhere to walk worthy for God in light of the saving work God's done in their life. He's calling for them to walk worthy for God. And let me tell you, the calling that Paul places on believers in the second half of this book is daunting. In these three chapters, Paul gives 39 commands. 39 commands. He calls for believers to walk worthy by putting away falsehood, speaking truth with your neighbor, being kind to one another, being imitators of God, walking in love, being sexually pure. He tells wives to submit to their husbands and for husbands to love their wives. He tells children to obey their parents and for parents not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In the last chapter, he says, believers, you got to combat the attacks of the evil one, Satan and his demons by putting on the full armor of God. Now let me ask you this. How many of you would say right here right now, you're where you need to be in all these areas? I think if we're honest, many of us would admit that many of these are a constant struggle for us. So what are we to do? Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, he says, pray for power. Pray for power. We're to pray that God would empower us, that he would give us the ability to walk worthy for him, that he would give us the ability to live a life that is honoring to God in this world. Folks, Paul realized that if we're going to be able to glorify God and obey him and follow him and be his people in the world, we cannot do it on our own. Therefore, we need to be strengthened by his spirit with power in our inner being this is one request believers you can always make for any christian you can always pray for power 
There's a second major request we find here that Paul makes. Not only does he pray for power, he prays for insight. Paul prays for insight. Look at verses 17 and 18. Paul prays, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer that Paul makes. Unbelievable. Notice here, Paul does not only pray for believers to have power through the indwelling spirit, but he also prays that the believers of his day would have insight through the indwelling Christ. He says, not only do I pray that you would be empowered to live for God through the indwelling Holy Spirit, but I pray you would have deeper insight into the love of Christ who dwells in you, who dwells in your heart through faith. He says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts, and as a result of that, I pray that you would be deeply rooted, firmly grounded in love he says i pray that christ's indwelling would enable you to know to comprehend the breadth the length the height and the depth of the love he has for you this is what paul prays for the believers of his day and again believers this is one thing you can pray at any time in any place in any situation for any believer now Some of you may think this is a strange request because Paul is praying for believers who should know the love of Christ to know the love of Christ. Some of you are probably thinking, why is Paul praying for them to know what they should already know? I mean, shouldn't they know about the love of Christ? Isn't that what led them to salvation? I mean, if I were praying this for you, some of you might get offended by that. You might be thinking, what are you talking about? Why are you praying for me to know something I already know? I know about the love of Christ. That may be true, but let me ask you this. Do you know the breadth of it? Do you know the length of it? Do you know the height of it? Do you know the depths of it? Do you have the kind of insight on his love that surpasses human knowledge like Paul talks about here? That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying for God to grant them this insight. And folks, only God can give us this kind of insight. D.A. Carson said this. Look at what he said. He said, apart from the power of God, Christians will have too little appreciation for the love of Christ. So true. Therefore, we've got to pray to God that he would give us this deeper insight into Christ's love. Notice also Paul prays that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, believers, I'm going to hurt your feelings here this morning, but I have to say this, okay? Like it or not, no one in here has arrived spiritually. Self-included. Every one of us, 
needs to grow. Every one of you, self-included, we need to grow. Just like we need power daily from the indwelling Spirit of God to live for God and need the indwelling Christ to move us deeper into our knowledge of Him and His love for us. We also need a further filling of the fullness of God. Can any of you honestly stand here or sit here today and tell me that there's nothing lacking in you when it comes to these things? Can you honestly tell me that? No. That's the beauty of our walk with Him, believers. Get this. The incredible thing about this relationship is this. The more we see God for who He truly is, the better we see ourselves. And the better we see our need for more of Him. You with me? So as we grow in our knowledge of God, we see what's lacking in us because we see where we truly are when we have a clear view of who God is. And the natural progression is for us when we see that to deepen in our commitment to Him. And as a result, over time, eventually, the other side of eternity will be complete in Him. But we're to pursue godliness until then. Paul says... I'm not there yet, so I press on, and we're to press on as well. And the more we press on, clearer we see God, clearer we see ourselves, and the more we see our need for more of Him when we see God for who He is. You see how this relationship works? It's brilliant. It's from God. That's why Paul prayed this for the believers in his day, and and this is something we can and should pray for all believers everywhere. We all need this. Just like we need the indwelling spirit to strengthen us so we're able to live for God in this life, we need the indwelling Christ to ground us in love so so that we'll have the the strength to to comprehend the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ so that we'll be filled with all the fullness of God so that we can move, so that we can be complete in our relationship with Him. These are two wild cards that we can use anytime for any believer in our prayer time. When you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you can always pray that God would strengthen their inner being by His Holy Spirit, enabling them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. And you can always pray for believers to have deeper insight into the love of Christ. You can pray that they would come to know again and experience again the love of Christ in a deeper, more profound way until they're full of God. When you do this, believers, when you pray in this way, you know what happens? Look at verse 20 and 21. Paul says, To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What happens when you pray? Many self-help gurus encourage us to pray because they believe it's food for the soul. It's good for us emotionally. They encourage it because it relieves stress, it gives us a more positive outlook on life, it helps with depression, and though prayer may help with a few of those things, is that the real reason why we're to pray? No. We don't pray simply to 
to feel better. Scripture is clear that prayer works. When we pray, God hears. God responds. Prayer is powerful, folks. Prayer is effective. It works. When we pray, God hears and God answers and God works. Look at what Paul says here. He says, to him who is able to do far more than we ask or think. How much is God able to do? Well, how big can you think? And however big that is, God's able to do greater works than that. Now, some of you glass half empty folks in here, you immediately begin thinking, but God doesn't always do what I ask. You may think deep down in your heart of hearts that, that prayer's not necessary because God is going to do what God's going to do regardless. The enemy wants you to keep thinking like that. He does. Listen, though prayer is not always answered in the way we, we, we want prayer to be answered, no, we are to trust God regardless knowing that he knows what's best and his ways are above ours. Listen, God tells us very clearly in his word that when we pray, we are to ask and that he hears and that he responds. We're to come to him as Paul does and we're to pray with confidence that God hears us and, and we're to trust that he can do, he's able to do more than we could ever ask or think, more than we could ever imagine. Folks, prayer is one of the main vehicles through which God works in the world. Don't believe me? Look anywhere in Scripture. Pick a place. It's all throughout Scripture. It's saturated through Scripture that prayer is the vehicle through which God works in the world. And he calls for us to bring our requests before him and pray with confidence that he'll hear us and work in and through our prayers in this world far beyond what we could ever ask or think. Therefore, ask, request, plead, pray. Listen, Satan knows how powerful prayer is. That's the reason why many of us are so weak when it comes to the practice of prayer. Because that's where he's hitting us the hardest. He wants you off your knees. Trust me when I say this. He knows the power of prayer. Which is why when it's time for you to pray, a million other things comes to mind. To misdirect you. Because he knows how powerful it is. We need to pray. We need to understand the power of prayer. We need to be disciplined when it comes to pray. In closing, let me say this. This message this morning has been solely directed toward our believers in here. And the reason why is because only believers can be motivated to pray by reflecting on God's gospel and the personal work that he has done to save them and praying for power from God and deeper insight into the love of Christ is a prayer that only believers can truly pray for other believers. But as I look over this crowd this morning, I know chances are great, but there are quite a few in our midst this morning who are not trusting in Christ for salvation. And if this is you, this morning, if you have yet to give your life over to the Lord, 
If you're here and you're going at life on your own, you've yet to turn over the reins of your life over to him. If you're here, you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Here is my prayer for you. And believers, this should be your prayer for non-believers in our midst and non-believers in your life. Listen, before you can have the ability to live a life that is pleasing to God before you can have deep insight into the saving work of God and the immeasurable love of Christ, you must first be made right with God through Christ. Scripture is clear that we're not. We are not right with God. We've all turned away from Him. We've all chosen self over Savior. And this has set us against God as His enemies. And though God could have said, you know what, I've had it with man. And He could have washed His hands of us and left us in a broken and fallen state. Instead, God gave us a second chance at righteousness. He gave us a second chance at a right relationship with Him. But for us to be made right with God, for us to have a right relationship with Him, to have access to this power that we've been talking about this morning, to live for God and to have deep insight into the amazing love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God, Scripture is clear, we must first respond to Him. There are two parts of this response that are essential and inseparable. The first is repentance. For you to be made right with God, you must first see yourself for who you truly are, a sinner condemned and unclean. You must see yourself as one who is not just apart from, but opposed to God in your sin, a sinner in need of a Savior. That is imperative. For one to be saved, they must see themselves in this way. Jesus said, I didn't come for righteous people. I came for sinners. What's he saying here? He's saying, I came for people who know they're in need. I came for people who know they're undeserving, who know they don't deserve me. I came for people who are aware of their sinfulness and their need. I came for people who are willing to forsake that sin, turn from that sin, and turn their life over to me. That's the first part of the response. There must be repentance. We have to see our sinfulness and our need and be willing to turn from that. And second, quickly, the second part of the response is this. We need to understand God has provided a solution to our sin problem in Christ. And you know how Jesus provided that solution? Get this, this is so great. He provided it through his death. Though he was perfect in every way, Jesus was not spared in any way. He was betrayed, denied, tried, mocked, beaten, and crucified with criminals on a shameful cross. And not only that, not only did he die physically, get this, he also experienced the full wrath of God for us. Though we deserve God's wrath, Jesus endured God's wrath that we might be spared from God's wrath. That's the gospel. And if you're here this morning, you have yet to respond in this way. If you've yet to come to grips with your sinfulness and your need of a Savior, my prayer for you and believers, again, this needs to be your prayer for non-believers here and elsewhere. My prayer is you would see your sinfulness, you would see your need of a Savior, and you would turn from that sin and you would trust in Christ alone.